Father, we're just overwhelmed with thankfulness for how you just pursue us and love us and care for us in ways that we can't even articulate. We're just overwhelmed by your love and, and your gift. We just thank you for the gift of this time and the opportunity that it is. Uh, just have your hand over Brother Ed as he speaks the word that you give him and prepare our hearts to receive it. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. This morning, I have uh, so many thoughts that are on my heart uh, from the substance of God's mind, obviously through his word, and of course, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes when I have that much <laughs> uh, on, on my heart, I believe it, at times I'm just led to, to see and, and see who would have maybe a question about a particular subject. Yeah, I have some. Okay. <clears throat> In uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 6. Yes. Verse 18. Uh-huh. It says that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So I know that's one of them. What's the second? Well, too, too immutable. And, and, and again, let's look at the word immutable. That means unchangeable, and you cannot add or take away anything from it. Right? So two immutable things. And, and again, here, as Mike is bringing out, and this is quite a chapter in Hebrews' uh, sixth chapter, of which this verse here, Titus 1, verse 2, goes into that too. God promises, and he can't lie. Those are two immutable things. God promises, and he doesn't lie. And you can't add or take away from either of those. Titus 1, 2, Hebrews 6, 18. Now, in Numbers 23, in verse 19, it makes it very, very clear. And I love this, is God is leading us, all of us, Together, And that's why I love these times, because Christ is the head, and he's leading all of us through the power of the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit, the only true theologian and scholar, can bring us and correlate these things in a beautiful way, that all we have to do is be entreatable and receive them. And we can receive them, even in a sense, if we don't understand them fully. He still gives us this sense that they're right, even before we fully comprehend them. So in Numbers 23 and verse 19, it says, God is not a man. God is not man. Obviously, the only God-man that there is and was and is, is Jesus Christ. We know that. Now, when it says that God is not a man, he's speaking of a natural man. And to be natural means to be unspiritual, meaning that the soul, the self-conscious self, hasn't been separated from the God-conscious. It hasn't been separated so that God-consciousness can enter into him and thereby purify his thought life. And this is Titus 1 and verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure. So two immutable things. Number one, God is not a man that he should lie. He doesn't lie. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, verse 6. And in John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. To sanctify means to be separated from something and placed into something. And that's what happens when we receive Christ as our Savior. That's positional truth. Now, in our experience, we are learning the fullness of who Christ is in us as individuals that make up the church, and we're learning it progressively as we grow and continue to be separated from all that in our experience that is not of Christ, our position, and our proper place. So Numbers 23 and verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie. 
Number one, the lie speaks of evil. There's no evil in God, none whatsoever. God allows it. He allows it without a doubt. He is not the source of it. And so he allows evil, and we see this even in the world system, where it comes to its finality in 1 John 2 and verse 17, and brought out completely in Revelations, the 20th chapter. And you can start at verse 6 and go right down to verse 15. And then we enter into the eternity of the eternities in Revelations, the 21st chapter, and we see the beauty of it in the 22nd chapter. So in Numbers 23, in verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie. That's number one. Nor the son of man that he should ever change his mind. Two immutable things, and here they are again. Has not God said it? Has he not said it? And let's read it here and see it again together. Let's see it together in Numbers 23. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should ever change his mind. He doesn't change his mind. Has he not said, and will he not do it? You're waiting on God. That's what makes patience so very necessary. It's very necessary for us to wait, because if we don't, then we, under the influence of the enemy, try to do what only God has done and is working into us and in our experience, what he fulfilled in our position. This brings out the beauty and reality of Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation. Those two immutable things are all fulfilled in Christ. Work out your own salvation. That's the, from the time you were born until the time you see him face to face in heaven. While you're on earth and on your way to heaven, work out your own salvation. You can only do that through submission to God who doesn't lie and doesn't change his mind. A lot of false, bad, evil teaching that will bring those things in and put something on us to do, to, to try and finish what God already finished through Jesus Christ. We know that it's based upon John 4 and verse 34 and John 19 in verse 30. God is not a man that he should lie. So work out your own salvation with a reverence and a trembling. You'll see what trembling means when we see the ponderance of the scriptures in Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. With the tremble, we tremble in such great awe and anticipation of his counsel entering into our experience, which will then in Isaiah 66 and verse 2, enter into a worshipful, thankful praise in Hebrews 13 and verse 15, which is a song in the night in Job 35 and verse 10, preparing us to worship in eternity around the throne of the Lamb in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. So work out your own salvation with a reverence and a tremble and trembling. That's the way it's worked out. Now, it's in us positionally, but if my will is not submitted, do I function in those two immutable things? I don't. None of us do. And that's the flesh that's in us in Romans 8 and verse 9, but that we're not of. But the Holy Spirit, because of the corruption of the flesh, when we function in it, in Ephesians 4 and verse 29, is inhibited and he's grieved in 4.30, of Ephesians from revealing the very mind of Christ, these two incredible, immutable things that are ours in Christ being worked into our experience. So, Philippians again, 2, uh, verse uh, 12 work out your own salvation with a reverence and a trembling, for it is God which works in you. What He's already accomplished about you in 1 John 4 17 and 18. So, what He's already, what? Work out your own salvation with a reverence and a trembling, for it is God which works in you, you see. Both to will, submission of the will, and to do of what? His good pleasure. And of course, we know that Jesus Christ in John 8 and verse 29 
Romans 15 and verse 3, and us created in him, and Revelations 4.11, are created for his pleasure. And that pleasure is the pleasure that he has in his son, and that's why he said to keep those two immutable things flowing in our experience, and Matthew chapter 3 and, and verse 17, and, and Matthew chapter 17 and verse 5, uh, to keep it. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You hear him, and when you do, you function in those two immutable things. To the glory of God, the Father, through Jesus Christ. So Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should ever change his mind. Has he not said, now listen, will he not do it? This is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. When God's not doing it, we're functioning in the flesh, and, and the indication of the flesh in Philippians 2 and verse 14 is that we begin to murmur inward thoughts that are truly against God, because sin is against him in Psalm 51 and verse 4, and then we begin to articulate them to others. And then we dispute, and we're still disputing against God, but we use others to do it, all because we're not experiencing those two immutable things. Now, again, has, has he, what? Has he not said, how does God speak? He speaks through Jesus Christ the word. Has he finished and accomplished everything? Well, yes. Well, has he not said, and with his son, who's the foundation, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will, will he not do it in you? Well, or has he spoken? And, and who would ever think that God himself won't make good what God has spoken? Well, he says, behold, I have received. Notice this grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I have received authority. The authority of God's love to bless because I've been blessed. This is bringing out the reality of Proverbs 11 and verse 25. Beautiful reality. The liberal soul, it says, the liberal soul, the soul that is so free to experience the reality of these two immutable things, is made fat. Not small soul, but fat. Huge. It's big. It's not, it's not for itself, it's for God. And when it's for God, it's for everyone else, for that person's blessing. And he that waters will himself be watered. Here it is again. Behold, I have received authority, the commandment of God's love to bless, and he has blessed. That's our position in Christ. And I cannot reverse it. He has not beheld iniquity in Jacob, and certainly none in us, because he's dealt with it. Jesus Christ says on Calvary, on the cross, finishing that work. He has not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. There's none in us either, by the way, of course, in a much higher way, based upon the epistle of Ephesians with, with Colossians. The Lord, his God, is with him. I love that when it says with him. Because this brings in the reality of John chapter 1, verses 1, right through verse 4 and bringing in the reality of the 14th verse, 15th verse, the 16th verse, all the way down through in a marvelous and beautiful way that he has what? That God is with him. Is in, in terms of the humanity of Christ, as much as we will grow in the eternity of that, he came out from the Father of this loving relationship, and this again is John 1, verse 1. It's the Greek word P-R-O-S, pros, or pros, as some would say. And it is this eternal affectionate embrace that nothing can disturb or distract. Jesus put on humanity, tabernacled himself in humanity, came out from that place to bring that love to us. He had to come down. This is brought out in Ephesians 4 and verse 9. He had to come down because there was no way we could go up. This brings in the reality of Deuteronomy with the 30th chapter. And you can look at verse 10 and go right down through and see the reality of it. 
and, and as what is God is bringing out to us this morning. So he has not beheld iniquity in, in Jacob, neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and he's with us. Friends, those of us that are listening, those that God so deeply loves, he is with you. And he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. That's two immutable things. He's never going to leave you, listen, nor forsake you. And they're based on those two immutable things. Never going to leave you nor forsake you, ever. What are his thoughts towards you? What are they in Jeremiah 29, verse 11? God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. They are thoughts of peace and not evil. The enemy been bringing in thoughts of evil, telling you what you're not, how you don't add up, causing you to compare yourself with others. When, you're own, when, you, when you literally are your own unique design that God, through Jesus Christ, has created and will be brought out in Revelation 2 and verse 17, away with comparison. That's a lie, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. Away with it. Away with those lies. He loves you. He made you specifically for himself. And he loves you deeply. So cast it down. Cast down those lying imaginations and every high thing from the enemy that comes in. Cast it down because you have an enemy in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. The weapons of all your warfare are not carnal. Don't try and fight that battle with lies and thoughts. No. Cast. No. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not human. They're not flesh and blood in Ephesians 6, 12. Cast them down. Cast them down. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. So the pulling down of these strongholds. See, the enemy wants to hold you captive in your experience through a lie to do away with those two immutable things. Malachi 3, 6. It says, I'm the Lord, your God, I change not. Jesus Christ for us. In Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Forever. And he doesn't change. In James 1, verse 17, every good gift and every per perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He loves you. He loves you deeply. And his purpose that he's accomplished in Ephesians, the first chapter, in those first 23 verses, specifically in verse 9, 11, and 13, and down through, he's preparing you for your own, you, yourself, your own unique fellowship with him for all eternity. He loves you so personally, so uniquely. You're a particular member in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27. Yes, the body of Christ is made up of many members in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and 13, but he loves you specifically, so beautifully, and he made you for himself. The truth of it is, is that Christ is in you. That's the, that's the truth of it. And he has special fellowship waiting for you in Revelations 2 and verse 17. So the Lord God is with you. That's what he wants you to know today. He's with you. He's with you. He's with you through the valley. He's with you through the lies. He's with you. And never leave you nor forsake you. It's the beauty of Psalm 23, 1 to 6. He is with you. And the shout of a king is among them. <laughs> Who is our king? Who is our beloved? Who is he? He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Revelation 19 and verse 16. In Revelation 22 and verse 13. And a plethora of other places in the scriptures. The shout of a king. And he wants you to join him. And to agree with him. In that shout of incredible victory. And that shout is what Jesus Christ shouted on Calvary, with you and I in mind, because he propitiated the Father. You and I individually, by the way. Don't compare your, don't allow the enemy to compare yourself with others, because he will use them 
in a lie to reduce you, listen, and to make God less than who he is in you. And he, or he wants him to disappear in our thinking. I studied it this morning. I wrote it down in one of the Bibles. He wants to make less of who God is to the point where he disappears in our thinking. Then we lose our proper image, and then he begins to declare who we are in that old, evil, wrong image. That is, that is of the lie, by the way. Thank God we've been delivered out of that lie through Jesus Christ, again in John 14, 6 and 17, and verse 17. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And boy, when he brings you there, no one can take you out. In John 6, 37 and 39, no one can tear you out of his hands. In John 10, 28 and 29, and he wants you to hear, you and me individually. Individually, in John 10 and verse 27, hear the shepherd's voice speaking to you. And speaking to me. And shouting, shouting. Inwardly, personally, I love you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Don't you dare compare yourself to someone else because I made you in your own uniqueness. Period. Period. And you are a success. It's not what you do or what you don't do. It's Christ in you. He's the measure of your success. And it comes in two immutable things. The shout of a king is among them. God Brought them out of Egypt. He took you outside of that lying, evil world system, you and me. Each of us individually. Each of us. He took us out. And he has, as it were, what? He took us out. God took them out of Egypt. That's our position. And he has, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. Surely there is no enchantment, the lies, the, the illusionary, rotten, evil lies. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5. Casting down these imaginations, these evil thoughts that don't come from God, that come from the enemy who tries to tell you who you are right now, even though you're born again, this is still who you are. No, it's not. There's two immutable things that are brought out in the scriptures and they don't change because they're fixed in God and he is who he is and he speaks from who he is and he speaks it into us through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it, surely there is no enchantment. There isn't any enchantment in or against Jacob. In other words, don't allow it to be in your experience. Let the shout of a king through the word and his love for you commit. Listen, casting down imaginations, these lying reasonings that came in Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Okay? God has something against you. That's why he's not going to, that's why he, he, the lie from the enemy is, is that God is afraid to make you like himself. Of course, we can't be in terms of deity, but everything we have in Christ. So he tries to make him less to the point where he will disappear in your experience. Then the enemy comes in like a flood in Isaiah 59, 19. But God always lifts up a standard against him. That standard is Christ in you and you in him. And the shout of a king is with him. The shout of the king. There is no enchantment. So casting down these false, evil reasonings and every high thing, high thing is hoopsima, from the atmosphere, from the heights, constantly watching to try and, and interfere with a proper image through a proper experience. Because again, even our sins, and God forbid that we do, and he does, James 2, 1 and 2, if we do, and based upon... Uh, uh, that's 1 John 2, 1 and 2, by the way, and it's, it's 1 John 1, 9. But if we do, if we do, if we do, and I don't want to, truthfully, in all honesty and in transparency before God, but if I do, you listen to me, you enemy. When I fall, I will arise. 
that when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. In Micah 7 and verse 8, and we should read Psalm 139, verse, verse 7. Uh, just read the whole thing, the, the verse 24 and beyond into those other chapters. Well, God has brought us out. There is nothing. There's no enchantment now. From now on, positionally, against who we are in Christ, neither is there any divination, any other false teaching and evil from the enemy. According to his, according to his time, will be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, oh, what has God brought? Whoa, my God, what has he done? Oh, how fantastic it is. How wonderful it is. Oh, what has God done and finished and accomplished for each of us as individuals? Now, here's the reality of this. It's immutable. And this is why we cannot think on our own. And this is why all of us together, all of us need to be taught. God has given us an unction in 1 John 2.20. And we don't have any need that a man, apart from Christ, even with a gift separated, severed from Christ experientially, we don't have any. We don't have a man to teach us. And when man no longer teaches us, and thank God we can still be taught, you know, we have that advocate, and so we have an anointing, and that anointing is God the Holy Spirit. That anointing that God the Holy Spirit is not dependent upon the emotions of a believer. I'm going to make that clear. Some think that's an anointing, that when I function right, and then it, and, and through the initiation of God's word, his thought life, the very thought life, and enters into the emotions, and now we have, no, the anointing is God the Holy Spirit. He's the teacher in John 16, 13, and 14. So, as we begin to close this morning, and we need to close. When Jesus Christ was formed, his body was formed in the womb of that 14-year-old, approximately 14-year-old little peasant girl called Mary, not the lie of what some would teach her to be, okay, that maybe her conception, and it was, was immaculate, but she never was, because she said, she said in Luke 1.46, Mary said, the virgin said, my God and my Savior, referring to Jesus Christ that was going to be born in her womb and be delivered to save her from her sins as well as all of us that would believe in him and receive him. That humanity of Jesus, he was born without a sin nature. Okay? This is part of those two immutable things. He was born without a sin nature. He never could have or would have sinned. He just never would have. Why would God, after the first Adam fell, why would he give a second one, his son, with a potential to fail? Would God do something like that? He never would. He never did. He never, ever did. Jesus was never tempted like you and I are. He was tested in terms, and what was, and who was being tested truly? The one that was trying to tempt him in, Mark, in Matthew 4, 1 to 11, and Luke 4, 1 to 11. Trying to do it like he did and was able to do against the first Adam in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. At some point, we want to get into how the enemy always wants to use upheaval and flip God's order. And we see the flipping of that order and the consequences of it. And we won't get into it this morning. But Adam submitted to his wife knowing it was wrong and the woman was deceived. Do you see the role reversal and what the enemy can do through that? Well, again, Jesus Christ dealt with that. He put us 
through the new Adam in our proper position in headship and initiation under Christ in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, and thus the woman would be that way and be protected, to be totally protected, protected through the love of the initiator. And so he, did ne he never had a sin nature, he had a human nature. Never. Never would, would that. And it's brought out in all the sacrifices. Look at them. You mean to tell me that would that that was put on the mercy seat could have failed in Exodus 25, 17 to 22? Never. Never, never, never. He learned obedience, not through failure. But we must remember that the Son of God, in virtue of who he is in deity, entered into the humanity of Jesus, who was to be the head of a new race. And in his humanity, he constantly, immediately, instantly submitted to his Father. Instantly. He had to learn it in Hebrews 2.9. Uh, through 6 uh, through 14. He had to learn it in Hebrews 5, 7, 8, and 9 to make the captain of our salvation complete through sufferings, meaning knowing what would happen to us when we couldn't do anything about it. This is clear. All of this truth, what we're speaking this morning through the scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit, has those two immutable things. God is not a man. And Jesus wasn't just any man. He was the God-man. That's who he was. That's who he is. And he was the lamb in Revelations 13 and verse 8, slain from the foundation of the earth. That was the eternal work of God in his mind. That, Of course, Jesus had to come and work it out. And we see it in Galatians 4 and verse 4 and multitude of other scriptures. That had to be done because man fell in time on earth. So it took the eternal mind of God through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to express it and bring it out. And this is why it's called the revelation, these revelations, and why we have these specific re revelations when we can read the word, when we're entreatable, and God comes in, and he brings in this rhema, an R-H-E-M-A, and it's a specific truth based upon those two mutable things that is ours through Jesus Christ, and he speaks it to us so incredibly. And there's a shout involved, and that shout goes above all those other voices in 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 12. All these other lying voices, these false reasonings. You see, God speaks to us as those that are his, that are individuals that make up the body of Christ. So we know this. We can cast down false reasonings, and all this high thing that comes against the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? It's the knowledge of God, his love for you and I as individuals. Individuals. We all have a portion. We're made very uniquely and very beautifully. Just the way we are. Just the way that we are. And without change, by the way. Without change. We have a beautiful expression and a beautiful image. So, again, all the sacrifices point to that. Now, all those sacrifices, we see, they had to be without spot and without blemish. What's that? That's the human nature that, was, that, bypassed, that bypassed the tainted blood of the first Adam, which, of course, it was passed on to us in Romans 5 and verse 12. It was passed on to us. But it never was passed on to him because his body was formed by God. You mean to tell me God would form the body of Jesus Christ with, him, with the potential that he could fail? Never. It's false teaching. It's wrong teaching. No. No. He had to learn obedience because as, as God, you mean to tell me God has to learn obedience? Yes, no, but the humanity of, of God in Jesus, did he have to learn that? Yes, well, what was his learning? His learning was all about him in a very emo most unique way. I say unique 
because of Acts 4.12, there's no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved than the name Christ Jesus. It's above every single name. And Isaiah 45 and verse 23 and Philippians 2, 9 through 11. And that's why in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's one mediator, one and one only. Don't buy any other thing. Don't go to another man, no matter how, what he wears, no matter what robe, no matter what he wears, or what box he may be in. And he wants you to crawl in. The enemy wants you to crawl into that box. There's one mediator between God and man. It is the man, Christ Jesus, period. Period. He had no sin nature. Hebrews 4 and verse 15 brings it clearly out in the original. Yet without sin. That's nature. Nature. He had to do that. He had to learn that in humanity. But his learning was instant obedience because everything that he learned had to do with propitiation to his father so that the Father in the completion of Christ on earth, which had to do with the eternal mind of God, which was completed in the eternal mind of God, Hebrews 4 verse 3 says, the works were finished from the foundation of the earth. That's the, the difference between the first Adam and the second Adam in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, look at verse 40 and go right down to the end of the chapter. There's two Adams. There's two Adams there. And so we see this very clearly. He had to learn obedience. Why? Why did, and in the most unique way, because it had to do with propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. Him and him alone. Why did he have to learn it? I'll tell you why. Because his human body, the spotless lamb, his impeccable human nature, impeccable is not liable. Not, no sense at all to sin. There's nothing in him whatsoever. I'll tell you why. Because he was a creation of God. And being God's creation, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even to the death of the cross, wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name, his person and the work that he's accomplished above every single name for all eternity, for all eternity. And this brings out the beauty of these two immutable things to which nothing, nothing can be added or taken away. We see that in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2, Deuteronomy 11, verse 32, Proverbs 30, 5 and 6, specifically 6, and Revelations 22, 18 and 19. You can't add anything, you can't take away. And oh, how the flesh, God forbid, oh, how the flesh in us wants to add or take away. Why? Because it still wants some form of glory, and that's the enemy. That's the enemy. Thank God that we are in Christ, his immutable, unchanging person. Promises. You know all the promises of God in 1 Kings 15, 56? And, and uh, all the promises of God are yes and amen in him in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. They are all not one false, not one word that he speaks falls to the ground in Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. His word will accomplish that that he sent it to. We read it in Numbers 23, 19 to 21. We saw it very, 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 very clearly. Thank God we're not people of this earth. We're not people of this earth. We're not earthly minded. In Colossians 3 and verse 2, set your mind on things above. That's our position. Set your, that's Christ. Set your mind on things above. Listen, not on things of the earth. Because you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For Christ who is our life, when he appears, we're going to appear with him in glory. Don't give place to the lying wisdom. In James 3 and verse 15, that's natural. Natural there, okay, natural there means unspiritual. Natural thinking, the details of life. Get caught up in the details of life. Because why? Unspiritual, experientially. Natural, what is the natural, is the, what is natural the result of? The demonic. First, it says earthly. 
We mind earthly things, details of life. Then what? Then what? Why is it? It's because it's natural. And what is the natural outside of Christ based upon? The demonic. <laughs> oh boy. Thank God that's not who we are positionally. And that's why when we have the privilege to come and hear the word in preciseness and in, in, in specific detail and very precise and bright and illuminated counsel from, that only comes from God himself alone. We can cast down those things. We have the authority of God's love to do so. We don't have to get involved with it. We don't have to give place to it for a second. We don't want to give up our place to that lying enemy in Ephesians 4 and verse 27. Don't give up your place experientially. Don't give it up. Don't let him. I'm going to tell you, if he can't deceive us in Revelations 12, 9, again, if he can't deceive you about those two immutable things, that's the reality of who God is, expressed through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's who God's made you to be in him. You are his creation in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. You are already the height of success because you have Christ in you. You do. Don't give place to it. Don't give up your place to the liar. To the liar. Don't give it up. Don't exchange God's love and his goodness for a lie and for evil because he loves you and I. And thank God we have one another. That's why we have the privilege to come. And in Ephesians 4 and verse 12, to separate the soul from the spirit. There's a separating, sanctifying process. Again, this is John 17, 17. Jesus himself, he sanctified himself. He did it graciously in propitiation as a substitute whereby we're reconciled in John 17 and verse 19. Okay? He did not, okay, in one sense, in the grace of God's mind, he did not have to die. He chose to. No man took his life in John 10, 17, verse 18. He gave it up of himself in propitiation to the Father and as our, to become our substitute so that a loving Father could love us through Jesus Christ and continue to reconcile us to that shout of a king with the command of his love over us. And he loves us deeply. And Father, we do thank you so much for the depth of your love for each individual that's in you. The depth of your love can only be revealed in the way that you desire to do in the intimacy and desire of your love. What did it cost God? Just in the desire to love us. You know, it was essential for God to love us. Isn't that amazing? It was of his nature, character, and essence. It made it very essential for him to love us. And that's why it's very essential to us to come to hear the word in the way that God is giving it to us and the way that he does, of course, in many other places, but the way that he can give it to us this morning. And Father, we thank you. We offer up worship and sacrifice and praise to you in Hebrews 13 and verse 15. We say thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. At another time here, we, if those that have time, we want to be able to give it, if anyone has a question uh, pertaining to the word uh, this morning, uh, or some comment about uh, the word that God has, has given us, and please uh, function in the freedom of who you are in Christ to be the joint that's going to supply that. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? We each we each are a joint that supplies, by the way. We each are. We each have that, that Christ in us. And all of you can unmute if, if you desire to, to speak. Mike, do you have anything? Or Luke? Or any of the men? Or... <clears throat> that was just beautiful <clears throat> on how... Um... This especially those two verses in Hebrews uh, 6.18 and Numbers 23.19.
Great, really awesome. Yeah. Really awesome. Yeah. And just how you brought out, you know, how you, you brought out impeccability. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, never, never was Jesus tempted to sin. Never. Never could have been. Yeah. And and, and then all those sacrifices there, all the sacrifices that we see in Leviticus and in Exodus and pointing in Numbers were all males. The only place it was in Numbers 19, 1 and 2, okay, where it was a red heifer, female offering. And that spoke of Christ constantly submitting himself to the Father. Constant submission. Because he was a creation of God, his humanity. That's Genesis 22 and verse 8. God will provide himself a sacrifice in propitiation. And so that's where it said that. In Numbers 19 and verse 2, it's a red heifer, right? And what is red heifer? It is this, that it had no spot or blemish in it, and no yoke ever put on it. And that points to Jesus Christ and his impeccable humanity, which speaks of instant obedience. Hear the word? Instantly, instantly obey. Instantly. In terms of him being the propitiation substitute and reconciler brings it out clearly and then everything he did in numbers 19 and verse 3 was outside the camp man structure his own understanding apart from god he went outside the camp the worldly system he went outside of every bit of it and again it had milk which speaks of restraint it speaks of restraint he never needed to be restrained and to be caused to obey. He instantly obeyed. This is how we understand these two immutable things. Because it has to do with the nature, character, and essence of God. So, anyone else? It was just a beautiful and encouraging word for me today. God doesn't change. If that doesn't if that doesn't really address the struggle, I don't know what does. You know, yeah. it's good to have a rock. Yes, our foundation. Yeah, to Same rest. Thing. Right. Yes, what, to rest on. Yep. Yeah, we're the house of God, and where does our house rest on? A foundation, and and it's immovable. That yep. first. 1558, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And as much mm. as you know that your labor, labor there is endeavor. <laughs> mm. God invented the Lord, going after him constantly. It's amazing. Mm. Tell, yeah, tell it us more. <laughs> tell us some more. Give us some, you know. I love what you said about the struggle, right? Mm. Struggle yeah. has... Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I, I don't know if I had anything else. I, I was thinking, so I'm driving into work today, and I was thinking prayers that I prayed 10 years ago and how God has answered every one of them in a way that I never could have imagined. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's true. And it, I, I think it's, you know, it's pretty simple. It's God put desire for certain things in my heart and it's of him. Right. And so of course he answered those prayers because that was his, his purpose. That was what he designed me to be. Now, did I picture it the way that it worked out? No, absolutely not. But you know, what do we know? Right. But he knows. And the fact that I know that he knows and he cares about me is really everything for me. And that's, now, the struggle, the struggle deals with who we're not mm. and who we are. Mm. One is a lie. One is the truth. One is good. The other is evil. <laughs> yep. And is there any evil in us positionally? 
that has not been dealt with? And does that need to enter into the experience? And does that have to do with the struggle? And the struggle has to do, again, with Hebrews 4.12, separating the soul. Mm -hmm. Because if the soul, self-consciousness, is not separated unto God-consciousness, then my soul, in Psalm 119.25, begins to cleave to the dust, my human nature fallen with all its passions and lusts and desires. And that's the struggle. It's that separating, sanctifying process in John 17, 17, and he works it into us based upon our position, and he worked it, he's working it into our experience. And he all he's waiting to do is to be gracious in Isaiah 30, 18. Nothing else. Nothing else. And again, even his chastisement is loving chastisement. I didn't come up with it. God did in his word in Proverbs 3. 11 and 12, and in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, in those 29 verses, and obviously begins with prayer, and without prayer and dependence, we don't understand his chastening love, and we just don't, and it brings it out beautifully. Anyone else? That was awesome, those thoughts, uh, Mike and Luke, thank you. Well, would you like to close in prayer, Mike? If there's not, if there, no one else has anything, if you would like to, yeah. Lord, Father, thank you for uh, the opportunity of humiliation, Lord, because of the initiation of who you are, which is love. It's really the only way we can rest. And so, Father, we just won't stop until we rest. In the reality of what your son has done. So, Father, we do, we just thank you. We thank you that we can understand, and we and we thank you that we can participate and experience the things that you have for us. Uh, we so do appreciate it. And I just thank you for all these men and women all these gifts that you've given us to experience. It truly is overwhelming. And we thank you, God, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Prayer, Mike. Beautiful. That's put that's putting the bow on the whole thing. That was beautiful. All right. Love you and love everyone. Love you guys. Thanks.